Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome back to Live Mike. In a moment, we'll be speaking with Rob Latham, a libertarian running in the 2nd Congressional District. Something interesting uh, about his campaign and his effort to uh, secure himself a seat in the United States House of Representatives is that he will be participating this year in the Utah Debate Commission's uh, sanctioned debate. Yeah, it will take place uh, not too long from now. Let me see the date. October 19th. Uh, he will be on stage alongside uh, incumbent Representative Chris Stewart uh, and Democrat Kale Weston, who we spoke to recently. Uh, and it will this year be the only the only uh, debate to include someone other than uh, a member of the Republican and Democratic Party. Uh, so joining me now, uh, Mr. Latham. Sir, how are you? Good afternoon, Lee. Good afternoon. Be with you. And, you know, I'll, let me add a correction. I understand uh, I'm down here in St. George. There might be a St. George Chamber of Commerce debate. Um, I've been invited to it. I've, mm. I've been told different things about who all will be there, but um, I've been told that that's maybe happening, too. All right. Well, let's look at this. Let's look at this. Uh, the, the threshold and the the parameters uh, under, used by the debate commission. What's it mean to you to, to, to crack that threshold and to be uh, on that debate stage? What's it mean for you and I guess for your party as well? Well, uh, obviously it's significant. I, I give credit, of course, to the voters in the second congressional district rather than anything I, I personally have done. Um, I, I'm reminded when uh, Jesse Ventura ran for governor of Minnesota in 1998, he uh, polled before his debate uh, with the two other candidates at, at about 10 percent. And, and supposedly that is uh, my margin in this race, right? It's about six and a half with the margin of error right. uh, could be more than 10 percent. And then, of course, he goes on to uh, get elected governor of Minnesota. So anything's possible. But I think at the end of the day, it just shows that there is um, a fairly significant um, dissatisfaction with um, the, the incumbent party candidates, the DNRs. Uh, in this district, and so they're looking for an alternative. Fascinating. Uh, a side note, I haven't thought about Jesse the Mind Ventura in a long time. I'm going to have to look him up and see what he's up to these days. Uh, listen, Mr. I down in Mexico or something. Is that right? Yeah, it's, yeah it seems about right. Uh, Mr. Latham, t- tell, before we get too far into this conversation, uh, introduce yourself to the audience, would you please? Sure. So uh, I, I'm a Born and raised in Utah resident. Actually, I was born in this district at what used to be called Holy Cross Hospital. I think it's now called Salt Lake Intermountain uh, Regional Medical Center. Um, and uh, grew up in the Salt Lake area. Even lived uh, the past several years in Bountiful before then moving down to St. George uh, about 11 years ago. And, and during all that time, it's been in the same second congressional district, even though uh, 300 miles uh, separates Bountiful from St. George. Um, so I, I know this district quite well. Uh, it's where I was born and raised. I uh, went to Olympus High School, for example. Um, and then I did go out of state to the University of Southern California. They gave me a full scholarship, so I thought I would see what life would be like uh, outside of Utah and did that for four years, and that was fun. And then came back and graduated from the uh, University of Utah College of Law. 
Um, and I actually, during that, that time, I went back to Washington, D.C. and uh, worked for Senator Hatch on the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee. He was, they were in the minority at the time. And that was actually the summer that Ruth Bader Ginsburg was nominated to the U.S. Supreme Court. So I um, helped that staff kind of vet her. Uh, and so that was an interesting experience. And, and when we weren't dealing with that, we were dealing with other issues. By the way, so um, Joe Biden was the uh, chairman of the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee at that time. So it's very interesting to see how things have shaped up in the 2020 election um, since my time back there in Washington, D.C. Absolutely fascinating. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry to, to, to go down this, this rabbit hole with you, but you uh, had you participated in the preparation of, of questions uh, asked of uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg during her confirmation hearing, huh? Yeah. Yeah, correct. We, I, we mostly uh, vetted her opinions, okay. and, and there were many staff attorneys who did that, but I, I played a small role. No, I'm not going to claim uh, sure, sure. a huge role because there were a lot of talented people uh, on that committee, um, but that was part of our job. I worked for a congressional committee myself for a, for a short time back in Washington D.C. and it was always a thrill when you know some question or some detail that you had vetted and worked out and, and prepared you know for the member ultimately made it spoken you know across the dais. There, do, do you remember? Do you remember anything uttered or asked by Senator Hatch? You, you had your hands on. I. I, I couldn't give you the specific language, but you're right. There was a time, it was a different hearing. Um, I forget what the issue was, but I, I did prepare some remarks for Senator Hatch, and they would read these remarks at the opening of a congressional hearing. And, yeah, that was a pretty, I said, oh, wow, Senator Hatch is actually reading something I wrote. So uh, that, that was uh, pretty interesting. Outstanding. The, the, the name of this, this segment, we've been calling it A Day in the Life. We, I like uh, you know, peeling back the curtain a little bit, uh, learning from candidates what their day-to-day activities are as they try to make their message known to prospective uh, voters. Uh, how is the campaign going for you? How do you spend your days? Well, and as I told your producer when we were uh, scheduling this, you know, I, it's probably pretty boring, my experience, right, as, as I think it is for, for a lot of us. Um, you know, we're working either from home or the home office. Um, I, I'm an attorney, and so a, a lot of my practice involves representing people who are responding to, you know, what I call government invasions into their lives and liberties. Um, the, the good news is that uh, so we've done a lot of remote hearings um, in court, in the courtroom, right? So we're now doing, uh, we use a Zoom kind of thing called WebEx through the courts. And so a lot of that, uh, you know, we can do that from our office. We don't need to actually physically go to the court. Um, And in a lot of ways, it's great because uh, some of these cases are all across Utah, and it's just certainly more convenient than having to drive uh, for several hours. Although I love to do that. We have a beautiful state. Um, I love audiobooks and podcasts when I have to go drive somewhere. Um, you know, to meet with a client or go to court, uh, you know, that happens in the meantime. Um, you can also talk on the phone, too. Right. So it, it hasn't felt, honestly, a very different um, other than those remote court hearings. Um, and, you know, I, I, I am kind of uh, in, my, in my life kind of a monastic kind of hermetic person anyway. So a lot of, you know, are... Yeah. My introverted friends um, and maybe those who are listeners who are in the same boat, you know, they say, we, we've been training for this our whole life. It <laughs> yeah. doesn't really feel much different. This is your Super Bowl. Than, than what we're used to. <laughs> right. And um, but, you know, so I'm interacting more and more with um, 
people, you know, online, obviously, um, as, as people, I think just this week, I've really noticed an uptick, um, you know, they send questionnaires, they send invitations to events. Um, some local chambers of commerce have invited me to meet with their members and organizations want me to speak to their group. So, so those events are on my schedule. Um, and, you know, I have questionnaires. When I have a questionnaire, I'll post that on my website, uh, freeutons.org or freeutons.com. Uh, it doesn't matter which one you use. And so that way I think I'm getting my views out there. And then, of course, we'll have um, the debate on Monday, October 19th. Uh, last question for – go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, I, you know, when you're in my situation with the, when you have limited resources, although I, you know, do have some, I am trying to, and I have campaigned in the past, I'm trying to do a zero landfill campaign because it's just, it's been so disheartening to me when the campaign's over and you have to pick up your signs and your literature and, um, you know, it just all goes to the landfill. So, yeah, trying to do that as a, Environmentally consciously as I can. Yeah. Uh, last question I'll ask uh, you, as I mentioned at the onset of this conversation, are you in a unique pers- position where you are uh, really the only third party candidate to participate in any of the Utah Debate Commission sanctioned debates uh, of this year as you run uh, for a seat in Utah's second congressional district against Republican Chris Stewart and Democrat Kale Weston? How do folks respond when you present yourself uh, to them uh, for the first time and say, I'm a libertarian running for? For Congress, do they respond to you at all, saying, "Well, hold on a second, Utah uh, kind of has this uh, historic trend where we send Republicans to Congress from this district, uh, and you think you can pull this off?" Well, I, I remind them that I think Utahns are already fairly liberty-minded, even though they might not have the capital L libertarian uh, associated with that. If you recall, we had former State Senator Mark Madsen who left office as a capital L libertarian, right. um, and. And so I just think with our, you know, we have the Libertas Institute, and and I think there's a lot of people in elected office who would consider themselves even small L libertarians. So um, I think as long as, you know, we we find common ground, and it depends on the individual, um, you know, I do a lot of listening and and their concerns and talk about a libertarian solution rather than, you know, you've given the DNRs a a chance to solve your problem. Is there a libertarian solution that might um, be be better. So I think that's just common, um, you know, per- persuasion that that all of us are going to engage in um, when, when we're meeting people. I recognize that I may be the first libertarian that a lot of people will meet. Um, and, and I want to listen to people's concerns. And if the district decides to elect me and, and send me back, I think as constituent service, you do do a lot of listening yeah. and you try to help people solve problems. And that's what I do as a lawyer. And that's what I you know, would be available and hope to do in Congress. Rob Latham, running for Congress as a libertarian in Utah's 2nd Congressional District. Thanks for the time. Uh, and you know what? Sometime, uh, why don't you and I get on the phone together off the air and uh, we can trade war stories from uh, working back in D.C. Uh, I'd love to hear uh, I'd love to hear more about, uh, about the RBG confirmation hearing. Sounds fun to do, Lee. That was a fun summer. I bet. All right, we're going to take a break. When we return, uh, we're going to have a look at some of President Trump's remarks from last night. He was asked about what a transition of power might look like. And uh, I have some caution I would like to give. I think that there are some making a much bigger deal about this uh, than should be made. I'll explain what I mean next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. 
Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.